0: You're listening to the Weekly Portland Podcast. For a complete list of episodes, visit pdxpodcast.com. This is pdxpodcast.com. And now for your
1: host, Gregory Day.
0: My name is Gregory Day, and yes, you are listening to the Weekly Portland Podcast. Today's guest is Professor Jim Moore, the most quoted political pundit in the state. He also has a signature look with those tweed jackets, colorful bow ties, and pretty awesome eyeglass frames. Now, it's not often you get to speak to a professor that has read the Quran and speaks Arabic. But Mr. Moore is a man of many talents, and you'll, you'll hear all about that today. Once again, my name is Gregory Day. You're listening to the Weekly Portland Podcast. We're at pdxpodcast.com, iTunes, or whatever podcast app you happen
1: to enjoy. Do you speak Arabic? Uh, yeah, I do a little bit. Um, I did more, but um, interestingly, when you speak to people who are native level, native Arab speakers, they all look at you and say, that is very good, and they won't speak Arabic to you. <laughs> so I'm actually much better, I'm, I'm much better at reading Arabic now. Um, I went to a graduate school in Monterey, California, called at that time the Monterey Institute of International Studies. And you had to have advanced language skills to go there. Yeah, you speak several languages. Yeah, and so I'm a native-level Italian speaker, so I got there and said, okay, let's go. And they said, we don't do Italian. (laughs) And so several things came out of that, but basically I made a deal with them. Um, I wouldn't have to do the full language thing until I had taken intensive whatever my new language was in the summer after I started and then continued it on for my second year. And so I chose Arabic because of uh, my, my academic interest. Uh, the Middle East is something that I really focus on. Um, and also just in, in broader terms for my bigger international interest, because somebody in some village somewhere has to know that Quran in Arabic in China or in Thailand or someplace like that, I could go into that village and be able to have some kind of communication with whoever's in charge of reading the Quran in that place,
0: and is is that coming in useful now with our, our current situation, or is that not something it, you're not? It,
1: actually, it, it it's not that useful. Although I do keep up with uh, one Saudi newspaper and one Egyptian newspaper, um, but I also use their. English translation pages. <laughs> yeah, because it's 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 hard to do. Um but for instance during um the time after nine eleven when Osama bin Laden would release uh his videos, I was able to listen to the videos and pick up things that didn't come through the official translations um that we'd heard and say, Well, you know, the way he's using that word means this kind of thing in the Arabic speaking world as compared to the literal meaning of the word that we're hearing here. Oh, the videos. Yeah. Yeah.
0: You know- <laughs> I don't even know why I'm mentioning this. Um, <laughs> your dad searched for Bigfoot. I mean, this is kind of... <laughs> uh, yeah.
1: <laughs> Was that a joke? No, Been no, I read? He, he started out as, as a newspaper, or not a newspaper. He started out as a television reporter in Eureka, California, in the middle of the Redwoods. And so when there'd be these, these rumors, oh, the Bigfoot's out there, what the heck? They'd get the cameras and they'd take out there and they took little, little me... I've got a picture in the family album of me sitting next to a stump with a big axe while my dad is out looking for Bigfoot.
0: <laughs> well, okay, I just I I had to talk about that because you know Bigfoot is uh, is a very important part of Northwest <laughs> culture. <Yeah. laughs> um, okay, I I was looking you now I'm familiarizing myself with the structure of a Portland government, mm-hmm. and I, I I I visited PortlandOregon.gov last night for a very elementary 101 mm-hmm. sort of overview. It's kind of embarrassing how little I know. But uh, yeah, very interesting. 1913, Portland approved a commission form of government. we one of the last commission forms of government
1: amongst large cities in the United States. Why is that? Well, the, the first, the reason why we approved it. It was the time of progressives and a lot of reform politics going on. So at the same time, Americans are beginning to say, oh, we want a constitutional amendment to directly elect our U.S. senators. Before that, we elected them through state legislatures. So that's one of the reforms going on. Uh, In city government and kind of local government, they were moving towards a a commission or a city manager form of government. Those were the two big alternatives so that you didn't have the elected mayor who basically started running a machine like back in the East Coast and was really corrupt. So all these reform things were happening and Portland adopted the the commission form. Uh, Why it still exists? Well, because until we can see that it's really broke, why fix it? Um, It is strange because the mayor, while the mayor is the, the symbol of the city, the mayor is only as powerful as the number of votes he can get on the city council, or she can get on the city council. And six? Uh, actually, there's five members, so you've got to get three to and win anything. Uh, the auditor doesn't get to vote, but that's an elected office. Right. Yeah. Okay. Now, and the auditor's that? actually trying to be more independent now, too. So, really? Yeah.
0: I think that's a position a lot of people don't know much about, the auditor.
1: Yeah, yeah. Then the auditor is, it's not from exactly the same time, but it's part of the reform idea. We need an elected person so they have an independent power base who's going to have the the power to go in and make sure the city government is doing what it says it's going to do and, in a whole variety of ways. That can be monetary, it can be looking at programs, those kinds of things. And what the auditor is currently trying to do is is say, you know, I ought to have an independent budget that's not approved by the city council, in effect, so that the auditor is even more independent. And and they'll work it out one way or the other. So that job
0: is to operate independently for yeah. the most part. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Uh, I watched some of the videos of the council meetings on YouTube. <laughs> uh, to put it mildly, these things are quite lovely. Yes. Uh,
1: four-hour sessions here on YouTube... Yes, and, <laughs> and people stay from the beginning to the end. Yes. Yes. Um, have you ever attended a council meeting? Have I have. Testified? I've never testified, um, but I have attended council meetings. Um, I also teach a class occasionally where I have my students, in effect, adopt a local government. And because I'm now out in Pacific at Pacific, no one comes into Portland to do that. But when I was at University of Portland, they sh- certainly went to those council meetings. Um, yeah, so so the, the meetings are are long anyway, um, but, but we have a, a group of people for a variety of reasons. There's not a unified set of reasons except City Hall ought to do something about it. And they want to exercise their rights to free speech. And when it's been challenged with rules of the city council, the courts have said, no, this is a free speech zone. And so that's what we get.
0: Now, Ted Wheeler has the tough bureau, the police bureau. Mm-hmm. That's, would you agree that's the toughest yes, bureau? Yeah, and traditionally to manage? the
1: mayor has the police bureau. Sometimes that's not the case, but usually the mayor keeps that bureau for for him or herself.
0: And the housing bureau? hmm. The PDC? Mm hmm. He's in charge of the PDC.
1: Yeah, the PDC is a semi independent thing, but yeah, it's connected into the city hall, and so, yeah.
0: And he's a liaison? What does that mean, a liaison to travel Portland?
1: Well, it means that travel Portland, um, and this is actually something I was just covering in my book about Atia, travel Portland actually spun off as a semi-independent thing in the early 1980s. Yeah, yeah. And, and it's basically, they have their own little tax base. So when people come to Portland, they pay a room tax when they stay in a hotel. And so some of that money goes into travel Portland, so.
0: I saw their ad by Whiting Kennedy that they put out in Japan. Have mm-hmm. you seen this thing? Mm-hmm. It's remarkable. They've done a great job.
1: Yeah. yeah. Uh,
0: and I spoke to uh, Mitsu Yamazaki at the PDC. And Portland is now, apparently, according to him, more in the news than New York City in Japan. Mm-hmm. And that, a lot of that is due to travel Portland. So. A lot of
1: that is due to travel Portland. And it echoes exactly what was happening 30 plus years ago. I've got stacks of things I just picked up from. Years ago. Yeah, there was a guy named Tom Kennedy who was for from my book. He was the director of economic development for the state in 1985 and 1986, the last two years of Atiyah's term. But he first started working in that big time for the, in effect, grandparent of Travel Portland in 1981. And so I've got all these Japanese magazines they were in in 1981, 82, 83. All stacked up in my office right now. But it, was a precursor to travel Portland? it was yeah. It was called the Greater Portland Convention and Visitors Association, so gracefully known as GPCVA. Travel Portland has a much better sound to it.
0: <laughs> and Chloe Udaly, uh she's in the news almost daily. Yep. she's really shaking things up. Um, Commissioner for Public Safety.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Now. Position four, what does that mean? She's in four. the four.
1: It doesn't really mean much because all the commissioners and the mayor are elected citywide. So it it doesn't, in, in other places, it'll mean you're a certain geographic area. But in Portland, that's not the case.
0: And forgive my ignorance here. Both Ted and Chloe are liaisons for A Home for Everyone. Is that an initiative to assist with housing for homeless or...? Single mothers. It it seems to be
1: more the homeless, but it's it's from what I've been following. I haven't been following it tremendously closely. It's also dealing with the fact that rents are going up. Right. So so we have kind of a a large version of a housing crisis. tell you about how my analysis works. I will go give talks to Republicans and Democrats, and I will inevitably hear at both places that some high-placed Republican or Democrat didn't want me to speak because I was too much the other way. So that says to me I'm doing it exactly right. I also have my own students who will graduate and come back, and they'll say, wow, it was so great to have you because you were the only one who really understood us really far left types. And other students will come back and say it was great to have you as a teacher because you were the only one that really understood us far right types. Which says to me, I'm doing exactly right. (laughs) Exactly the right thing. Which is basically try to give people the tools so they can look in their own political cupboards and say, oh, so this is why I might think about this for homelessness or gun rights or the occupation in Malheur or whatever it is, and begin to see kind of systematically why they feel what they feel.
0: That's great. Uh, okay, Nick Fish. Yeah. He's a big, big name in local politics, the Commissioner of Public Works. Mm-hmm. Now, public works, so infrastructure.
1: Yeah. It's basically infrastructure, so we've got pothole issues. He might be the guy to talk to.
0: (laughs) (laughs) I have a feeling that that's going to come up at one of these council meetings, the potholes. (laughs) Boy, coming down here, I hit a lot. Yeah. And he's in charge of the Water
1: Bureau. Yes. I, I didn't realize
0: there was a Water Bureau.
1: Yeah, there's a Water Bureau, and the Water Bureau has been in the news a lot in about the past 15 years. Um, it was run in such a way that it would, in effect, spin off surpluses, which were then used for projects oh, which were declared to be Water Bureau things. But then people looked at it later and said that that wasn't a Water Bureau thing. And so it's, it's it's in effect, a an agency that's in the process of healing. Nick is in the middle of that process of helping them focus on the water. Yeah, Nick has a good reputation. Um, he comes from a very political family going way, way back. In fact, I have a document or two from my ancestors signed by his ancestors when his ancestor was the Secretary of State in the middle 1800s. Um, yeah, it, it runs that deep. yeah, so so you know Nick is from, from a very famous family, um, but he's been someone who's talked about running for mayor or maybe leaving Portland city government and going into some statewide thing. Um, much like Ted Wheeler was the county commissioner and then was appointed to be the treasurer. So so Nick is someone who has a pretty bright political future ahead of him, if he chooses to do that.
0: Amanda Fritz, Commissioner of Public Utilities. How, doesn't that fall into the same realm as, as water or no?
1: Well, it's, it's 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 kind of things other than water. Okay. Yeah, so she'll be involved, for instance, negotiating with um, uh, Google on whether Google's going to come and do the super internet stuff a lot of those kinds of things
0: and the bureau of parks and rec yeah that's a fun bureau right that's
1: a fun bureau it's a fun bureau um it's it's a bureau that people pay a lot of attention to because portlanders love their parks Um, but the biggest issue they have is what are you going to do with the dogs oh right you know leashes not leashes special dog parks that's what gets people really going on those
0: They'll be at the council meeting. That's for sure. Yeah. Okay, Dan Saltzman, Commissioner of Public Affairs, Bureau of Transportation.
1: Now the Max, the Max Line, is he involved with? He's involved with it, but Max is run by TriMet, and TriMet is a separate agency. It's not connected to the city.
0: Is that pseudo political? Yeah, that? it's
1: definitely political. It's got a it's got a board of directors, it, it, and property taxes are contributed to it. But
0: don't they have to work with the Bureau of Transportation? Yes,
1: exactly, because because. Yeah, the the, board, the PBOT is mainly the streets, um, and so then TriMet has its rights of way and goes through, and so that's going to be the MAX and the buses. So there's a lot of really close working, but Saltzman isn't in charge of the MAX and the buses. That's a separate agency.
0: And the auditor, Mary Holt Caballero, mm-hmm. I don't know much about her.
1: She is um, really thinking about what the auditor really ought to do. Um, you know, as we, we started out this conversation, the auditor is, is elected independently, has an independent power base. And what should the auditor be doing in the 21st century? Um, I think what's happened is she has seen enough things like um, the Water Bureau fiascos over billing. Um, she's seen, you know, the things that dominated for much of the past seven to ten years, um, issues with the police bureau. You know, those kinds of things, which we now see in protesters, but it used to be shooting unarmed, uh, mentally ill people, that kind of thing. Yeah. And she's, she sees a role for the auditor, in effect, to be much more activist in helping the city to peg down where problems are and begin to build what solutions are. Mm-hmm. Vickitia was the governor of Oregon. A Republican uh, from uh, 1979 to 1987. Uh, before that, he served in the state legislature for 20 years. Uh, and he, in 2013, asked me to write this book. Um, he died in 2014, so I was able to interview him um, on my own setup uh, four times before he died. During his time, In the legislature, he was there when the bottle bill went through. He was there when the beach bill went through. He was there when Tom McCall was governor. He was there when Mark Hatfield was governor. He was a big player in Salem during those times, but not really well-known outside of Salem at all. Uh, He then becomes governor, and when he's governor, Oregon goes through the worst recession we've had since the Great Depression. So what we went through in 2008, 2009 was not as bad at all as what hit in 1982. No. Unemployment rates then were higher. Uh, the number of uh, banks that were collapsing was much higher. Um, it was it, it basically reconfigured Oregon's industrial footprint because the timber industry was hit really, really hard. And so coming out of that, Vickitia, um when they finally t- – put their heads up and said, oh, my gosh, we've kind of done triage, so now what do we do? Vicatia was the one who built on things that were already there but led the charge to diversify Oregon's economy. So the economy that we have now with a big high-tech footprint, the economy that has now got the creative classes coming to Portland, that kind of thing, a lot of it can be laid to Vicatia and what he was, was putting into operation. So he did a lot of international trips trying to get, um, especially Japan, East Asia, to come and invest here. And so we've got Epson, Japanese company, um, NEC, Japanese company. Those kinds of things were were when he, on his watch and getting that going. Really? Yeah. It's a big part of Oregon history. It's a big part of Oregon history, and people don't really know about him. He never tooted his own horn. Um, he finally decided a biography would be nice, so I guess I get to do the tooting. <laughs> um but uh, as I think about it, it, it's become really interesting because as a state, we Oregonians think of ourselves as living in Tom McCall's state. So we're right. we're environmentalists. You, you
0: actually in a, in a
1: building. I'm actually the director of the Tom McCall Center for Policy Innovation. Uh, my dean at one point said, because yeah. on the, my website for that, it says Oregon's most famous governor, which he is. And my dean said, well, since you're working on the Atia book, do you want to have that on there? I said, well, until I write the book, he probably is going to be Oregon's most famous governor. Maybe ATIA will be considered with him when I'm done, but not until then. But, but, it, but we live in a, in a world where we think it's Tom McCall's state, but you look at the economy and you look at the way the, the state is organized now in terms of economics, in terms of government and things, it's Vicasia state. Vicatia is the one who, who did a lot of that arranging. Just as when you live in Portland, you're living in a city that was envisioned by Neil Goldschmidt, uh, who was the mayor for a long time and is now persona non grata in Oregon politics. Um, it, it's, it's, that, it's the vision that they put in, in place that then continues on. And I think we live in a Vicatia state. Notice what I just told you. Vicatia is responsible for all those Democrats coming in here and shifting the state from Republican to Democrat. <laughs> and I've talked with his close staffers, and they, they think about it and say, You're so right. I wish he was alive so he could say, You, you're the one. <laughs> When she was mayor, she wasn't that beloved.
0: Jim's talking about former mayor, Vera Katz. Um, In
1: fact, when she was mayor, they actually had to bring in outside help for counseling to help the council members actually get along and be able to hold a meeting without yelling at each other. So, you know, there you go. <laughs> but as, as, as she has left, she is associated with kind of the latest burst of the Neil Goldschmidt model which is all all the stuff in the pearl and beginning to really develop the places along the waterfront that were just industrial wastelands so yeah she's seen as as someone who you can physically see her mark on the city and and charlie hales i mean he's the last in a in a string of one-term mayors for a variety of reasons we'll see if wheeler breaks that string we're watching ted wheeler right now to see if he can do that balancing that political connection um in a in a stronger way than Hale's was.
0: Well, maybe he needs to to swim in the river a few more times with uh <laughs> <Exactly>. <laughs> so that I really like the fact that he does that.
1: Yeah, yeah. Um
0: very- he is very you know, a big part of the community. He i you know, he orders the chicken club at Huba's. Yeah. So
1: <laughs> Yeah. And 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 that it personalizes him in a way that we often didn't see for Charlie. I know
0: McElroy. I know the man's favorite sandwich. <laughs> there
1: you, you know? go.
0: And, uh, well, I, you know, I learn a lot by watching these city council meetings. Your appearance, you you, you have a bow tie and these incredible frames. Yeah. Where are you getting these frames? Is this showmanship? Are you peacocking a bit?
1: It's, it's peacocking a little bit. But what I've discovered, my wife and I go back to Europe every couple of years. And I used to live in Italy. So we usually go to Italy for at least part of that. Oh, you did? And so, no yeah. Yeah, um, In fact, if you'd like, I can bring my iPad in and show you my weekly Italian news magazine that I read. Um, but what I discovered is I can go into a glasses shop in Italy and say, I would like frames that you can't buy in the United States. And they'll get really excited. And the first thing is they'll show me just expensive frames. It's like, no, I can't get Gucci in the United States. That's not what I'm talking about. And so these blue frames... Um, DPBQ. Uh, you can't buy here. They're not really available online. And they cost, um, I think it was 115 euros, so it was like 130 bucks. So it's kind of normal for, for nicest frames. They're not super duper frames. Yeah. Um, but boy, these that really. So much character. Yeah, yeah. And this one, um, I, the first time I did it was about three years ago. I picked out a pair of frames, and my wife said, I don't like those. So I got them anyway, but then she went back and she picked out a pair of frames, and so they're both really nice frames. This time, uh, she was in the store with me. She picked out five with me, and I got to pick from within the five.
0: (laughs) I like it. That's how marriage works. Yep. Okay. So you mentioned this uh, briefly. Mayor's lasting one term in Portland.
1: Yeah.
0: Is that due to Portland itself being sort of a kind of
1: fractious place?
0: Fractious is a great word to, to describe
1: it. Yeah, yeah it is. It, it, you, you look at how we elect mayors. Mayors tend to be elected without strong opposition. So we certainly saw that with Wheeler. Um, we've certainly seen it with kind of, you know, it, it's basically the case. If you have strong opposition, so Jefferson Smith took on Charlie Hales, but then Jefferson Smith just melted away. He ended up not being strong opposition at all. And so they come in, and they have a mandate, and yet the mandate isn't who they're going to govern. Who they're going to govern is kind of people who show up at the city hall meetings, the the city council meetings. And then they go and they learn other parts of the city and say, oh, my gosh, um, I'm not really that big an expert on the water system or whatever it is. Um, And and it's hard to do. It's really, really hard to do. That's one reason the commission form of government is there, to spread that out so that uh, a city council member, a commissioner, becomes an expert in something. And then the mayor may shuffle the portfolios every three or four years saying, okay, things are getting a little cozy there or we need some new blood. So great. You're going to run this one now. You're going to run that one now. And it's hard for a mayor to keep all that in their head.
0: Chloe Udaly, um, I'd like to talk about her campaign mm-hmm. because it was very unusual. She wasn't yeah. well-financed.
1: No, she wasn't well-financed. Um, it was basically, from my reading of it, and we don't have good exit polling or anything on this, but from my reading on it, it was basically a referendum on Steve Nowak, Nowick. And so people said, we don't want him. And she was there. Uh, and and so, yeah, she she wasn't very well-financed. But she's been paying attention. First time in a long time we've had a business owner who's sitting in City Hall. Um, yeah, bookstore owner. First time in a long time we've had somebody who's not only just been an activist, but has been kind of effective at moving things in her activism. So raising issues of, of, of housing and things like that. Um, and so that shift from that to City Council, fascinating to watch. Just fascinating. Jim
0: Moore is a professor at Pacific University in Oregon and is currently writing a biography of Vicotea, governor of Oregon from 1979 to 1987. Thank you, Jim, and we'll see you next week.